1: Hi, and welcome to Theology Gals. I'm Colleen Sharp, and my co-host is Angela Whitehorn. And before we get to today's topic, I wanted to mention just a couple of things. We're going to be doing something just a little new, and I'm not sure if it'll be every month or every other month or whenever we have opportunity, but we're going to release some bonus episodes, and they're specifically going to be with authors of books, and we're going to release our first one this week. So keep an eye out for that. And just also a reminder that the Conference on Suffering is coming up in March. I'll link it in the episode notes. If you're anywhere near Freehold, New Jersey, or within driving distance, we would love to see you there. I'll be speaking at one of the breakout sessions. And I think that's about it. You know, I talked to someone this week angela and he is starting a new podcast and i'm helping him out a little bit and he said my first episode is going to be on the gospel oh, that's and great. and because you and i had had some different conversations with people in the last several weeks we said we should do a, one on the gospel like yeah. wow it took us this long to do one on the-.
2: <laughs> you know I, I feel like we talk about the gospel every week it's the most important um, you know, it's really the reason why we do what we do, but it's true. We have taken a long time to get to doing an es- episode just about the gospel, and I'm really excited about it. And I'm sure people
1: right now are even thinking to themselves, well, what all can they say? You know, <laughs> you guys have given the gospel other times on the show. And so we really want to talk about what is the gospel, because I have seen some things out there. I actually went on Twitter, and I think, I, I can't remember exactly what I put, but I think I put something like the gospel is, just to see what would come up and see what people said. And I looked around and I saw some not great explanations of the Mm. gospel.
2: Yeah, there's some horrifying things out there masquerading as the gospel.
1: Yeah. And I was talking to, uh, we're going to be having a really, really special guest in probably a week after this one. And his name is Pete Orda, and he was in the Christian band Petra. And some of you may be familiar with um, with that band, and he's reformed now, really great guy. And I was talking to him just in preparation for the episode, and you know, he talked about what he thought the gospel was even when he was in the band. Like, mm. you know, if, if you have problems, come to Jesus. And I saw some of that growing up. You mm, know, yeah. the gospel is... Come to Jesus and he'll make your life better. So we want to talk about what the gospel is, what it's not, attacks on the gospel, and also why it's important to distinguish between law and gospel and between justification and sanctification.
2: Yeah. Um, It's interesting. I... um First of all, our listeners who know Petra, you're dating yourselves. <laughs> um, I'm excited for that episode coming. It's a little bit of a blast uh, from the past for me. But also, you know, it's amazing to me, Colleen, how often we actually listen hear from friends who are listeners to our show who will say, um, you know, thank you so much for your podcast. I grew up in the church, and I just heard the gospel for the first time last last week on your podcast. and that is um man it's heartbreaking actually and so yeah. um it is a very important topic i think there's lots and lots and lots of people um in the united states in evangelicalism who really don't know what the gospel is in fact you know my husband and i had some catalysts going on in our personal life a year year and a half ago that made us really kind of scratch our heads and say well now wait a minute this this issue is obviously about, they don't know what the gospel is, but, okay, how do I explain it? And we really had to dig in and go, okay, what exactly is it? So it's funny. In a way, it's very, very, very simple. And in another way, um, it's crazy. It's kind of like, uh, you know, they talk about common sense isn't common. The gospel's everywhere, and yet it seems to not be everywhere, you know? So, um, I, I'm very excited to talk about what the gospel is and what it isn't. I've mentioned this before, but in the
1: 90s, the White Horse Inn radio show sent one of their producers to the Christian Book Distributors Convention and had him go around and ask these people, these are the people that are selling the Christian books and, mm-hmm. and whatnot, what is the gospel? And just very few could give a, a gospel explanation. And I think a lot about Michael Horton's book, Christless Christianity.
2: Yeah. because
1: there's a lot of people in the United States who say, I'm a Christian. I mean, I know some of these people that, you know, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian, so what does that mean? Well, I believe the Bible, I believe in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people that I've talked to even in our group that said I grew up in the church, but I didn't know what the gospel was and I wasn't a Christian. I didn't understand my sinfulness. What I would like to do to start is play a little clip from a video that Michael Horton did, uh, and it's called What is the Gospel? And I'm actually going to include in the episode notes, he's got a short little blurb, What is the Gospel? I'll include that, but he's got an hour-long sermon, What is the Gospel? And I cannot recommend it enough because it has... I listened to it again this week, and I listened to it a while ago, and it's just so encouraging and such a great reminder of the gospel. So here's Michael Horton.
0: The gospel is one of those words that is easy for us to take for granted because we handle it so often that it becomes a catch-all for all sorts of good things. And that's a danger because it's a very precise term. Gospel is not equivalent to whatever is good and important in Christianity. so a uh, runner would return to the capital from the battlefield with the announcement the euangelion of uh, success on the battlefield so it's a victory report it's sort of like the headlines that we have all heard about for world war ii being concluded uh victory in europe that is exactly what the the gospel is and that's why it's not just good news because of its content it's good news in the form of its delivery. It's not good advice. The Gospel never tells us something to do. The Gospel tells us about something that's been done. We hear people say today, uh, you know, we need to live the Gospel, uh, need to do the Gospel, but actually we need to do the law. You can't do the Gospel. That's a category mistake. It's the most fundamental, basic theological mistake that you can possibly make to confuse the law with the gospel. The law is good. Doing things, doing what God commands is absolutely important. But it's not the good news. It's not the gospel.
1: You know, Angela, I think that we often hear people say it's good news. And yet those same people sometimes will turn around and the gospel that they present is not good news. I mean, mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. is something procra- proclaiming. It's not a do this and live. Right. It is a proclamation of what has been done and what the promises to us are. It is good
2: news. Right. And I love the fact that um, Horton says in there that um, it being news means that it's it's the announcement of something that has been done. It's not a command something for you to do it's telling you hey you know what happened this is what happened it's already done it it reminds me of you know hearing people say live the gospel you can't do that it's news that's already happened it's on the headline it's, of the newspaper it's um it would be as silly as um pulling out um the latest news, um, you know, I guess people look at Facebook and Twitter these days for news. But um, the latest news headline and saying, "I'm going to go live," this no, it's it's news about something that has already happened.
1: You know, what, another thing Michael Horton talks about in his lo- in the longer message is the bumper sticker that used to be popular. I think when when you, we were young, that would say. Uh, Jesus is the answer. And Mm -hmm. he said, well, if Jesus Mm -hmm. is the answer, what's the question? And I think that (laughs) really gets down to what we're talking about, because a lot of times I think what people are really saying is Jesus is the answer to your struggles in life.
2: Mm -hmm. To your problems.
1: Yes. Instead of you're a sinner in need of a savior. And he is the answer to that, to your problem. So what is the problem? We're sinners separated from God. And the gospel is the good news proclaiming victory.
2: That's right. Um, you know, we, we've we got um, a lot of verses on the gospel. There are some great, um, lots and lots of amazing passages, of course, um, in the scripture that tell what the gospel is. Um, the first one we've got is from 1 Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins, in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. And so this is Paul, the Apostle Paul, telling us what the gospel is. He says right in the passage, this is the gospel I preached to you. It's the one you received. It's the one that you are being saved by. And it is just a list of this is what Christ has done. It, it really is a
1: proclamation of, of good news in what you just read there. And, you know, probably the most well-known verse in probably many people's minds is john three sixteen. but again it's it's the good news there too that god for god so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life and it's proclaiming this this wonderful news that we won't perish but have eternal life
2: Um, I also love um, Ephesians 2, um, specifically 2, 1 through 9, but I'm just going to pick up a, a partway us in Christ Jesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing; it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Um, I I love this is just so very clear. It's not something we do. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Um, so we know that salvation is all from the Lord specifically because of what Christ has done for us.
1: Yeah, including the faith that we have is something mm. that the Lord has has given us. You know, anyone who's read Galatians knows how serious it is to have a false gospel. And I think it's important we talk about some of those those false gospels. So I'm going to just read a Couple little verses from Galatians. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And I think we see a lot of distortions of the gospel of Christ. And I put something in our group. I sometimes like to do that in preparation for episodes. And I asked people, you know, what are some wrong explanations of the gospel? And I wanted to just go through some of those wrong explanations and explain why they are wrong explanation of of the gospel. So the first one is one we kind of talked about a little bit all, already. Your life is hard. Come to Jesus. He'll make it
2: better. Mm, yes. And of course... You know, this can be very sneaky because um, this is a version of word of faith gospel. And sometimes it's very, very clear that it's word of faith. Sometimes it's very direct. You have more faith, and God will um, fix your problems, especially if it's directly talking about money. God wants you wealthy. Um, sometimes the word of faith preachers will are very very direct in what they say, but then sometimes this slips in to just regular everyday evangelical circles and and they're not intentionally trying to have a word of faith gospel but that's that really is what this is you know I think about um uh a a church that I was at in the in the past um that had ministries um for all kinds of things, and there's there's really nothing wrong with these, um, but ministries to help single moms, ministries to help all kinds of and categories of people sort of lubricate their life and make their life uh, circumstances more easy, and it was always sort of presented in a way of this is, this is um, for us to help them come to our church, and we're supposed to talk to them and talk to our friends about, well, you know, like, if you need... Um, Your oil changed. We have the oil change ministry. And, um, you know, you just need to come to Jesus and this will get better. In fact, I, you know, even recall um, hearing people talk about this is how I share my testimony. You know, I just talk about before Jesus, I was sad and, um, you know, my life wasn't in order and uh, I didn't have um, a good house, a good family, whatever. And then after Christ, let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. And it's a list of material things or um, ease on the circumstances of life. And, you know, sometimes I don't think that these these folks are intentionally trying to preach a word of faith gospel, but that really is what that is. And uh, the, the truth is, we're not promised an easier marriage or finances or health because we're Christians. In fact, Um, the scripture makes it pretty clear that we're going to have suffering and we can expect that.
1: And let me say, I know some people may be thinking, but isn't your life better with Jesus? There, there are aspects I'm forgiven. I have the joy of the Lord. Um, I have peace. Those those things are true. My life is better Mm -hmm. in that way, but not in the way that it's painted often in these circles. You have health problems. Come to Jesus. He'll make it better. Mm -hmm. Your marriage is struggling. Your children are disobedient. Come to Jesus. He'll make it better. And that is, that's not the gospel. That's not why we come to Jesus. And I think mm-hmm. that's the problem, that their emphasis is you come to Jesus so he makes your life better, not you come to Jesus so you can be forgiven because you're a sinner in need of a Savior.
2: Right. And I think that oftentimes the way that our life is better is vastly different in in this type of false gospel than in a real Christian's life, um, you know, if if we're talking about poor health, for example, you know, um, a false gospel says, come to Jesus and you will be healed. Um, the truth is, you might be healed, you might not be healed, but resting in Jesus Christ for your salvation will give you joy, will give you peace, and does give you the promise of ultimate healing in Um, eternity with Christ when he wipes every tear away. Um, And that is very, very different than saying he wants you well right now. I mean, there are Word of Faith preachers who say that um, uh, their church is a cancer-free zone and that they uh, banish, you know, sickness. If you have a cold, you're not even supposed to speak about it. Um, And that is very, very different than than saying that, you know, when we rest in Christ, we have hope, and that's a future hope, um, a future hope of ultimate healing in the new heavens and the new earth when we spend eternity with him. So This
1: is one that we saw uh, recently, and that is the gospel is about submitting and being obedient, and I want people to think about that for a second. Is that good news? Mm. If I say you need to submit and be obedient, does is that, is that give you hope?
2: it crushes me. Yeah, exactly. Because I, you know, we talked about this before uh, one time um, when we were talking about means of grace. And I think back to when I was younger, taking the Lord's Supper in a church environment where we heard law preached um, very often, if not moving towards almost exclusively. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, when Uh, The Lord's Supper was being given that it was said very much like you need to repent. You need to repent if you don't, um, you know, if you're taking this in an unworthy manner. And I remember thinking to myself, am I the only one in this room who thinks I haven't done good enough for this? Uh, I just think about for a believer to really examine ourselves and think, how well am I doing I think when I'm honest, the answer is not great. I'm not doing a good job at submitting and being obedient. Yes, sure, I have victories. Yes, sure, I can see progress. But the reality is, if I have a right view of how high the standard of the law is, and if I have a right view of how how pittance my ability to meet that standard is, then thinking that the gospel is submitting and being obedient – I should be hopeless because I should be recognizing there is no way that I can do a good job at this. And I think that this
1: next one fits into that. And these are ones that girls in our group said that they have heard. The gospel is an invitation to imitate Jesus. And I'll tell you, that reminds me a lot of Charles Finney, mm. who really did think that the whole purpose of this whole thing is, is that we imitate
2: Jesus. Mhm, right? And I you know what I very often hear um in evangelical circles the terminology might sound something like we we need to model Jesus. We need to be Jesus to fill in the blank with whoever we need to be Jesus to. Um and so I think back to you know I guess when I think about this um ultimately, what makes this gospel a problem is that I think it it may be a false Christ, because if Christ is merely a model, if Christ is just an example, then is he God? Is he um, my Savior? There is a vast difference between an example and a Savior. Um, so, That's what I think may be the problem with this is that I think it has too low a view of what Jesus Christ's role is. And I
1: think we see a lot of people in the talk, like the gospel is about having a personal relationship with Jesus. Mm. And they'll, you know, they'll talk about Jesus is... Wants to be your best friend. That's the other thing. There will be this mm. almost picture like Jesus is just waiting for me. Like Jesus mm-hmm. is standing at the door of your heart, and he's <laughs> just waiting for you to
2: let him in. Mm. Poor Jesus, he's so right. lonely until you accept him. Yeah, and again, this is a this is a false view of what the God of the universe is like. Um, he has set his affection on his people. He is not waiting around for us to get it together and make the right decision. He, the the Holy Spirit draws us, and he, uh, he calls us and saves us and preserves us. All of that work is his. He does not have to rely on us to figure it out at all. So um, ultimately, this is sort of a weak, soppy version of what Jesus is like, and it's not the truth. So
1: we did an episode probably close to six months ago now about the popular book, girl, wash your face mm. and most popular. It was, I think it was the most popular book of the year in um, some Christian categories on Amazon. I think on the New York times bestsellers list and it was on all sorts of lists. It was definitely the most popular book for Christian women in 2018. And she said, the gospel is, you know, God accepts me just the way I am.
2: Hmm. Yeah, Um. and unfortunately, this gets too high a view of what man is like, um, that, you know, all of these are attempting to bridge a way between me and God and kind of close that gap. And so I can either lower Christ, I can lower my view of the law, I can raise my view of of my ability to keep the law. I can raise my view of my starting point. And that's what this one does. It says that there's nothing wrong with me to begin with. There's no gap between me and God uh, that requires me to keep the law. I'm fine just like I am. And so this completely erases my need for a Savior at all.
1: And I think in so many instances, like you were talking about earlier, I think people are making Jesus what they want Jesus to be.
2: Mm -hmm, Absolutely.
1: I'm not sure how much some of these people are actually reading Scripture. I think one of the most common ones that I see a lot, and sometimes in liberal circles or even from non Christians, is the gospel's about feeding the poor and loving your neighbor. And um, you know, doing all these different things for people out there that are needy—that that's what the gospel is about. Mm. And that those things are good. Please love your neighbor and feed yes. the poor. Yes, I think but it's, it's not gospel.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's definitely fair to say that people who have been saved uh, by hearing the gospel and who have trusted in Christ. Good works flow from that, necessarily. And we've talked about that many times on the podcast. But um, to say that the good works themselves are the gospel, um, that is really a problem because it's law-gospel confusion. And, um, you know, that is another issue that is present in a lot of these, is law-gospel confusion.
1: You know, that's exactly—that's a, a good uh, introduction to what we're going to talk about right now. And that is— law and gospel, and then also justification and sanctification. Because I think this is so vitally important to our understanding of the law and even our Christian life. And we did a whole episode previously, I can link in the episode notes, about law and gospel distinctions. And I wanted to just quickly uh, describe what we're talking about when we say law, because some people that might be new to reform theology might say, so are we supposed to do all those, you know, ceremonial laws and civil laws and so the law when we're talking about the law in scripture there it can be talked about a couple of different ways one they'll split the law up into the pedagogical use the civil use and the normative use um or another way that they'll split it up is between the judicial ceremonial and moral law so no we do not we are not called as believers to uh do all you all the Old Testament things that you'll sometimes see Hebrew roots people doing, but we are talking specifically as far as what we are called to specifically the moral law, and that's summarized in the in the Ten Commandments. So that's what we're talking about with law. And Angela, why don't you um,
2: describe what is law and what is gospel? So the law commands, and the gospel promises. Law is imperatives, so again, that's commands, that's telling us what to do. And the gospel is indicative, and that's telling us what God has already done. And so um, you can see that the difference between these two is um, who is being told to do something or who is doing something. If it's me doing something, if I'm being command- commanded, that's law. If it's Christ has done and it's completed, that's gospel.
1: A lot of times you will see people will say law and gospel distinctions. I think that's Lutheran. Mm. And I have some great quotes from reformers and even from Calvin and, and Beza, even to um, Louis Burkhoff on law gospel distinctions. This has always been part of reform theology. I wanted to read one quote by Theodore Beza. He says, we divide the word into two principal parts or kinds. The one is called law. The other is called gospel. For all the rest can be gathered under the one or the other of these two headings. Ignorance of this distinction between law and gospel is one of the principal sources of the abuses which corrupted and still corrupt Christianity. Wow. That's quite
2: the quote. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And that is... um he wrote that in fifteen fifty eight. You know, right in uh, the Reformation is going on. Um, th- you know, this wasn't written last week. Um, this view that law gospel distinction, I have heard it as well. I've heard it in um, even from people that I know in person, in real life. And um, you know, this view that law gospel distinction is merely Lutheran and you know Reformed. The Reformed view is more complex. The Reformed view is more nuanced. It's more of a continuum. That that point of view is actually very new. You can see that this sharp distinction between law and gospel is very old and in um, really the the heart of the Reformation. Um, and so really this idea that law-gospel distinction is not exactly Reformed, it's Lutheran, and Reformed theology is something else and has moved beyond that. It's, it's coming out of um, a, a Thought group that is Neo-Nomian Neo-Puritan in the Reformed world, and so um, this is a newer school of thought, and it's it's just not correct on the historical facts, um, as you can see from lots of quotes that we've got here, and we'll keep um, talking about.
1: Yeah, one of our listeners actually messaged me, and he's got a little blog, and he put a bunch of quotes together too. He's got a few blog posts with some some different quotes about this that i'm going to include in Mm -hmm. our episode notes because this you it's very clear with john calvin it's very clear with Beza Mm -hmm. it's very clear from the time of the reformation that it wasn't just the lutherans but the reformed Mm -hmm. and you can even see it in our uh in our confessions and catechism
2: right and you know there were uh More than one time during the Reformation that Lutherans and Reformed met to discuss doctrine and see what we agreed on, and more than once, law-gospel distinction was not one of the things being uh, disagreed upon. It was agreed upon. So it is something that we actually have in common with our Lutheran brothers and sisters.
1: It's important to understand this uh, for several reasons, but in our explanation of the gospel, if you want to be really careful about not including law with your gospel. And I think that one of the things that's happened, and I was going to talk about it later, but I think this might be a good time to kind of insert this. One of the things that happens is that people are almost afraid. If you don't proclaim the doctrine of sanctification and your preaching of the gospel, then people are going to think that you can be antinomians. And antinomians, it means anti-law. And when people speak of antinomians, often on a practical level, they're talking about the people that say, oh, I can just go on sinning um, because Christ paid for it all. Did Christ pay for it all? Absolutely. But we also know from our doctrine of sanctification that we will grow in obedience. But I think that it's It's people afraid that they'll create antinomians, and so they include law with their gospel.
2: Right. And ultimately, there is, um, you know, I I would just say that I differ strongly in opinion on what produces good works out of believers. Is it shaking the foundation of their assurance by telling them, hey, you, you can't be sure that you're saved unless you're turning out the good works? Or is it giving them the gospel that Christ has done for you, which what you could not do for yourself, and you can rest in his finished work for your salvation and move from that into gratitude. Um, We have talked before about the Heidelberg Catechism, guilt, grace, and gratitude. And if, if you think about that, the guilt and grace sections, that's law and gospel. And then the third section is our response, gratitude. And that gratitude, the good works that we produce, is grounded in the assurance that we have in knowing that Christ has already done the work for us to have his righteousness. And one thing
1: that we'll talk about, too, is that our sanctification— and we'll talk about sanctification in just a second, but say our good works, our producing of good works, because our good works are the fruit of sanctification, a work that God is doing in us, is a necessary consequence. It is not mm-hmm. possible to be in Christ and not grow in obedience.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. So justification and sanctification, this is another, it really goes along with our law and our gospel. And you'll see sometimes there are people out there that will include good works in with being necessary for justification. So why don't you define justification and sanctification?
2: Um, From the Westminster Catechism, we have question number 33. What is justification? And the Catechism says, Justification is an act of God's free grace. So there is God doing the work. Wherein he pardoneth all our sins and accepteth us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. So justification is that one time forensic, um, judicial sort of act where God pardons our sins on the basis of the fact that Christ paid that penalty. and then not only does he pardon our sins, he counts us as righteous by count imputing to us, giving us credit for, Christ's righteousness that he earned while he was on earth. Question 35 What is sanctification? Sanctification is the work of God's free grace. So notice who's doing the work again is God, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. So, a couple of things to point out here again, the one doing the work is God, but What is the work that God is doing whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God? This is sort of like the undoing of that. And um, so if we think about the doctrine of total depravity, which um, talks about how uh, the whole of man is corrupt, this is a little bit like the opposite, where the Holy Spirit is renewing our whole man back into the image of God. And the work that's happening is enabling me more and more to die unto sin. Notice that sanctification is not me dying unto sin. Sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit changing me so that I can die unto sin. So the dying unto sin and living unto righteousness flow out. Those are the good works. But sanctification is not the works themselves. Sanctification is what the Holy Spirit is doing to me so that I am able to produce good works. And I
1: think there's so many misunderstandings about what sanctification is. I think people think that sanctification is that growth in obedience instead of understanding that our growth in obedience is the fruit Mm -hmm. of sanctification, is Mm -hmm. the fruit of that work that the Lord is doing in us. And so you'll see these questions out there, is sanctification synergistic or monergistic? And when somebody says, well, I think it's monergistic, in that it is a work that the Lord does. What we aren't saying is you're off the hook. Right. So God doesn't produce those good works. You can just go disobey all you want. We should be seeking to live in obedience and Heidelberg Catechism in the gratitude section talks about that. But this, but our good works are not sanctifying us. Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit is sanctifying us and our good works flow from what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. Exactly. You know, it's so important to correctly understand justification and sanctification. I often see people and even law and gospel struggle with assurance because they've been hearing a gospel that includes submitting Mm -hmm. and, uh, dying to self that that's the gospel they've heard. And they're saying, but wait, I don't know if I did that part enough. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't know. Or even the sanctification, that that's another thing. Well, people will say, will say um, you know, I'm, I don't know that I do enough good works. Maybe I'm not really saved. Mm-hmm. And they it's easy to look to our own selves for assurance when we have been influenced a lot by these confusions of law and gospel and justification and sanctification. Instead of to Christ, we should look to Christ.
2: Exactly. You know, um, just... Talking, as we were earlier, about whether or not law-gospel distinction is reformed, we've got another great quote here. This is from William from, um He was the first moderator of the Westminster Assembly, which happened in the 1640s. And um, the Westminster Assembly is what produced the Westminster Confession and the Catechisms. And he wrote this in 1633. How many ways does the Word of God teach us to come to the kingdom of heaven? And the answer is two. Which are they? The law and the gospel. What says the law? Do this and live. What says the gospel? Believe in Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And so, um, you know, we can see in this quote, again, this is solidly reformed coming out of the Westminster, <laughs> the the moderator of the Westminster Assembly, and um We can see this sharp distinction. The law says do this and live. The gospel says believe in Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. So, we're
1: going to talk really quickly. We've talked about some of these things before, but attacks on the gospel because we are seeing it. We're seeing it in reform circles where people are presenting things that are not the correct gospel. And I think the first one that comes to mind is federal vision. We've done three episodes on federal vision, but federal vision does um, include works in, in the necessity of us working for our salvation.
2: Mm, yes, And I'd say, you know, another one that's very similar um, that uh, is more, maybe in some Baptist circles is the idea of final justification, um, this idea that I am I am in. Justified by faith. And that sort of gets me started. But finally, there's some sort of justification that's going to take place later in the future. And my works is going to be a part of the basis for that justification. And that is adding works to the gospel.
1: You know, we do absolutely recognize that as Christians that we should live in obedience. Mm. But that that obedience does not acquire... Our salvation,
2: exactly, and you know we've talked about this uh, a few minutes ago. But um, sometimes the motivation for backing works up into our gospel and into our justification. The motivation is because um, there's this fear of antinomianism, this fear that believers will just live wild and crazy because um, they don't believe that they need to obey um, God's holy standard. In fact, you know there are some some very major streams of uh, and traditions within American Christianity there that are very clear on that in fact, I believe you know like the Wesleyan um, Holiness movement directly believed that hey you know we're not we're not preaching enough um, law if we tell people that their justification is on faith alone, They'll live wild and they won't um, obey, and not enough holiness will be produced. So um, that is, of course, a fear. But in Reformed theology, we we don't we are not antinomian. We do not believe that um, yeah we're justified by faith alone, and then we just live. However, we do believe in the third use of the law, and that is um, to show us um, the right way for us to live. Um, In gratitude, and we do also believe that those good works will necessarily be produced because that is a a necessary outflow of having been justified. So John
1: Wesley actually said of the Lutherans that they were strong on the gospel, but weak on sanctification Mm. because they they weren't emphasizing the good works. And of course, Wesley was teaching entire sanctification that we could stop sinning this side of heaven.
2: And do you feel like that, that, you know, sort of leading into our next one to talk about, which is confusing justification and sanctification. Do you think that that's what he was doing?
1: I went to Wesleyan holiness Bible college. So there's some Wesleyan schools out there that are liberal. This was very, very conservative Wesleyan holiness Bible college. And I haven't read enough of Wesley to be able to confidently say much regarding that. I've read more, charles finney and Mm. he was just a pelagian he was just a mess all around Uh, (laughs) but one thing i did notice and because i'm still friends with with people that i went to the west wesleyan holiness bible college with i i have friends that are nazarene pastors Mm. and nazarene pastor's wives and a, a small method very conservative methodist denomination that still holds uh high up the teachings of John Wesley and what I did notice is that among this group is that it's very easy to lose your salvation. So even mm. to this day I have friends that I will talk to and they'll say such and such um is doing this sin. Um I think they lost their salvation or I wonder Ooh. if they've lost their salvation. So it's very and I haven't even been able to put my finger on, like, how, like, where's the line? Like, mm-hmm. how much can you sin before yeah. you
2: lose your salvation? Well, I don't know if you came across this, but uh, it, in that circle, but um, I have come across some women that I talked with a couple of times online who were in that same um, theological camp. And the way that it worked itself out with them was that they told me, One of them in particular said that she had not sinned in six years. Um, And this just blew my mind. And so, you know, I think if you can lose your salvation very, very, very easily from just the lightest of sin, then the very next step is either despair, because I can never keep my salvation. That's that's honest. Or denial. I'm not sinning. I haven't lost my salvation because I haven't sinned in six years, which is... I mean it's ludicrous.
1: <laughs> Interesting enough, it's a, it's a low view of of sin in the mm-hmm. people that I I know because they they don't even recognize sins of omission as mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, separating you from God. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and your thoughts aren't sins, those are mistakes. And so they don't mm-hmm. even see the weight of sin and yet they see the weight of sin in being able to lose your salvation. So
2: doesn't <laughs> yes. make sense. Yes.
1: So this and I'm I know that We might get some pushback on this one, but especially right now, I think it's important we spend a little bit of time on this, and that is gospel issues. You will see, um, just search on Twitter, gospel issue, and you will see all kinds of things. People will talk about race relations being a gospel issue. They'll talk about uh, some sort of good work. Feeding the poor is a gospel issue. And there's all these different things that they talk about as gospel issues. I do think that in many instances, what they're really trying to say is this is a Christian issue. This is a biblical issue. Mm -hmm. But I think it's dangerous. Potentially. These are laws. Mm -hmm. Loving your neighbor is a law. It's not gospel. And, I think it's potentially dangerous to call all of these things gospel issues.
2: I completely agree. And I will um, just say that I believe that this is something that I see happening, um, especially in new Calvinist circles. Um, I say that as someone who w- was in it. And, you know, I'm thinking of um, a church that I knew of um, where I used to live. Um, where one year the church leadership decided that their vision for the church was that every family in the church needed to adopt um, a child by the end of a certain period of time. And because that was, it's interesting, I have actually gone back and looked at that period of time, and this was years ago, um, and What was going on in the new Calvinism world was that adoption and the church having a heart for adoption was the hot issue. And now I see in that same world, we've got the social justice um, conversation is the hot issue. And so you will see lots and lots of times, this is the newest gospel issue that is, um, if you are not participating in a certain way, your salvation may be called into question. Um, I've seen it um, a little bit with the LGBT um, issue and then um, sometimes with women's issues. And so it's sort of like the hot issue du jour becomes the latest gospel issue. And I I just I agree with you. It's very, very dangerous because it takes our focus off of um, the finished work of Christ as, as actually being the um the solution to um everyone you know, I'm gonna use another evangelical term right now, but all the brokenness <laughs> It's really the, you know, it's the solution to our sin problem, to our separation from God problem, to the fact that I need a Savior because I have broken God's holy law. That's the real ultimate problem. That's our number one biggest problem as human beings. Um, and these other problems, yes. Um, Good works flows necessarily out of our justification. If we have been changed by the gospel, we will produce good works. And some of the things on the list that I just mentioned, yes, we can turn our attention to those things. But they are not the gospel. And it's very dangerous to start backing those up into our presentation of what the gospel is. And
1: I have seen people question the salvation of other people based on these issues, because they are mm-hmm. calling them gospel issues. They are mm-hmm. elevating them to be part of the gospel. And so if you don't embrace them, then you probably are not saved.
2: Right. Or even your church. If your church does not put a heavy enough emphasis on whatever the issue is, then you have a false gospel or your church has a false gospel.
1: Yeah, I've seen this with the abortion issue. Abortion is an awful, horrible thing. Um, There's been a lot going on recently with news articles, but I've seen people say this is a gospel issue and leave churches if they don't think that their church is doing enough in the abortion front to Mm -hmm. fight abortion. and. And question people's salvation because they'll say, well, somebody who's really in Christ will be at Planned Parenthood every weekend Mm -hmm. um, trying to talk people out of abortion. And so it's, it's so important to understand justification and sanctification, to understand law and gospel and otherwise, I, I'd be questioning people's salvation all the time if I thought the gospel was about submission, the gospel was about social justice, the gospel was any of these things except for what the gospel is. And I, wanted, I want everyone to know that there is good news. We have good news that, that we have the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. That is good news that I'm a, I, the bad news is that I'm a sinner (laughs) separated from God, but I have the righteousness of, of Christ through faith.
2: Amen. Absolutely. And I think that you just brought up a very great point. You know, earlier I was saying that, um, that the issue of bringing works into the gospel is that it ruins my own assurance and i'm crushed and i wonder am i saved but you just brought up a a great point that it can also do another thing it can cause me to question everyone else's salvation and start looking down my nose at everyone else well you're not saved you're not saved you're not saved you're and think that that is um (laughs) really ultimately something that i should be um doing individually you know that's That's not really my individual job, but, um, you know, in one way or another, questioning the salvation, um, you know, being on a shaky foundation myself is probably going to lead me into um, being very uncharitable towards others.
1: I wanted to recommend, if you've never listened to our episode with with John Fonville, and even though it was about Lordship Salvation— he does such an excellent job of even showing out there some examples of law gospel confusion. And it, it's so, you know, I was in circles where there was law gospel confusion, and it's so crushing. It's so crushing because constantly I'm looking inward at myself. Am I doing enough to prove I'm a Christian? Have I done enough to even have salvation? And I'm going to put an article. I have so many articles for the episode notes. Please check them out. But one of them I'm going to put in there is one by R. Scott Clark on Assurance. And in that article, he says that our good works may strengthen our assurance, but Christ alone is the ground of our assurance. Well, we appreciate everyone joining us. Um, If you'd like to support us, there's Links on our website, TheologyGals.com. You can support us monthly through Patreon or a one-time gift through PayPal. And we appreciate everyone, um, your support and listening. And we'll see you next week.